Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that wants to put out this simple little warning that if you want to stay sober, don't come over. Here is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are still sipping on zombie dust by the good girls and guys over at Three Floyds Brewing Company. Now one thing that I know the captain loves and I have much appreciation for myself is beer can and beer bottle artwork. One day, captain, we will decorate the garage and beer art. Well, the geniuses over at Three Floyds teamed up with comic book artist Tim Steely for the fantastic artwork on zombie dust on the bottles and cans of zombie dust so beer can art let's give it a strong five bottle caps out of five bottle caps and let's give some cheers to our good friends right here we have dean and newbury united kingdom and the big we like to jib to tessa and flower mound texas next up we have a cheers to karen in Appalachicola, florida so there you go, Bill. And a big cheers to Emily up in Kent, Ohio. Next, Captain, we give a big thank you to Alicia in Williamstown, New Jersey. And last but certainly not least, we have Amy in Tootsie playing Frisbee somewhere in parts unknown. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com. They clicked on the donate button, which helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, say it with me. Raise your glasses. B-W-E-R-U-N. Beer run. And if you'd like to support the show and get something in return, go to the store page right now and get your beer run t-shirt at truecrimegarage.com. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody. Gather around. Grab a chair. Grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
Where we left off yesterday, Captain, we are going through the timeline of David Edward Maust, one that I would categorize as a unique serial killer. As said, in 2003, they discovered the bodies of three teenage boys in his basement, and then the community discovers that this man that they are arresting and charging with a triple homicide He's already been convicted twice of murder. So why was he living in their neighborhood? This leads us up to 1967 when Mouse was just 13 years old. He's now been institutionalized, placed there by his mother for about four years. At this point, he was sent from the psychiatric hospital to the Ullix Children's Hospital home, which had a reputation for sexual abuse. This is according to the Munster Indiana Times. This part, Captain, gets a little fuzzy because Maust was then sent back to the mental hospital in 1970. The reasons for this, not clear, but I'm sure that if there were, if he was living in a situation that had a reputation for sexual abuse, even though he did not like living at the psychiatric hospital he probably was glad to be sent back to this hospital after leaving the hospital david Maust worked construction then he enrolled in the army this was when he was 17 years old he went through basic training and was sent to frankfurt germany in 1972 to serve as an army cook in germany for some reason David Maust was spending time in the company of a 13-year-old American boy named Jimmy McLister, whose parents were stationed in Germany. The two met at a bowling alley. According to court documents, Jimmy called Maust a queer and told others that he saw Maust masturbating. Well, that's the fastest way to become friends. As a result, others started making fun of David Maust. David Maust engineered an outing with this kid, with Jimmy, riding a pair of stolen mopeds in a German forest. So so he became friends with the guy that was running around telling everybody he was caught jerking off. He was already friends with him and says that, you know, he caught Maust masturbating, tells everybody this. Now everybody's making fun of of David Mouse. Okay, I'm just trying to get this right. We have this kid that's abandoned by his family, put into a psychiatric home, then goes to this other facility for basically orphans. He's molested there, goes back to the psychiatric. May have been. He it's a place that's rep, has a reputation for sexual abuse. So from there, he is sent back to the psychiatric ward. He's there for a while, gets out. Yeah, because he's he's 17. He's almost an adult by this point. So then he goes to the army, and now he befriends this younger kid. They send, yeah, he goes to basic training. After basic training, then they give you a job in the army. And right. he's sent to Germany to work as an army cook. This is 1972. And while he's there, for some reason, who does he become friends with? He becomes friend with friends with the child, not with other adults. He starts hanging out with this 13 year old American boy who the 13 year old American boy is there because his parents are in the army as well and stationed there. Well, one, he has a connection because they're both American, but two, you'd have to say, or have to think that his 
social skills, his social maturity was that probably of a, a younger kid than a 17-year-old. Well, and this is something that we've seen with adults as well, that you that sometimes when people are institutionalized, that they have a different maturity because they did not mature that much during the time that they were institutionalized. Right. That's why we have criminal profilers that say the most difficult thing to determine in your profile is the age of the offender if you don't have any statements from eyewitnesses because you don't know the maturity level of someone that's been potentially locked up for 15, 20 years. They don't mature the same way that you and I would out here living amongst other people in society. Right. So, Captain, it looks to me like whatever went down between Moust and this 13-year-old boy Right. That David Moust wanted to either shut the kid up or he wanted revenge against the kid because now everybody's picking on him and making fun of him. Yeah, calling him flicky flicky. So it seems like he engineered this plot to get the kid to come out and hang out with him. The two are out riding on a pair of stolen mopeds out in the forest. And while out in the forest, Moust hit Jimmy over the head. He then tied the boy to a tree and beat him to death with a board that had nails sticking out of it. Jesus. David Moust hid the body in some of the brush. The boy's body was not found until about a month later. I mean, look, you, you catch somebody masturbating, just never, never tell anybody. Never. You could be beaten to death with a board with nails. This, the weird thing here, Captain, is that Mouse was only convicted of manslaughter and what? he was, he was convicted of manslaughter and larceny this for stealing the mopeds, but was not charged with murder because there were no witnesses that could place Jimmy and David mouse together on the same day that Jimmy died. Okay. So just because they can't place them together, then how the heck is he responsible in any way, shape or form? Are they saying, well, because he stole, stole the moped and the 13-year-old was on the moped, that that's how he died? Well, this is a difficult situation. What I think happened here is that they cannot put the killer and victim together. They have nobody that can testify at court and say, these two were together on that day. Or right. Mouse tricked this kid out into the forest with him, and then later we found his body a month later. What I think happened here is that we have a plea bargain. I think that they had enough suspicion surrounding David Moust, especially if there's, there's, there's this rumor going around that the kid caught him masturbating and told everybody about it. Yeah, caught him flicky, this dude's, flicky. This dude is going to be your number one suspect when the kid goes missing and when you find his body a month later. You're going to keep confronting him and confronting him and say, hey, we know this and we know that about you. David Moust, what we know from the, the 2003 murders, he eventually confessed to all three of them. Right. So that that is who he is. That's his makeup. So very likely what happened here is he says, okay, you're, you're suspicious of me. Yeah, I was with him. What, what his story is, is that we were out riding together on these mopeds in the forest and little Jimmy smacked into a tree like Sonny Bono and died. And I just, I just hit his body and then left. I got scared. 
and left. So they, they, they can kind of piece together what they believe happened, but they don't have any way of proving that in court. And in fact, this was a, a court martialed situation and he was sentenced to some sources say five years and some sources say four years at Fort Leavenworth for this situation. And again, because he's enrolled into the the military, I wonder if that had something to do with him being charged with a lesser crime. I, I, again, I'm guessing it's what he was agreeing to be, to be convicted of. Right. He probably stuck to his story that the kid died on it in some kind of accident on these stolen mopeds out in the forest. What's weird here. And I know I keep saying that, but David Mouse to me seems to be a very unique serial killer. And we'll get into why I believe that here in a bit, but he gets this very light sentence, right? Captain of depending on which source four four or five years, he is getting paroled after serving just three years during the parole portion. He's telling authorities, do not parole me. Do not let me out. I don't want to be let out of prison. Right. Keep me here. This was either ignored or denied, and he was released in 1977. Yeah, but you see this occasionally, or at least through like the journals or the thoughts or interviews of many serial killers where they go, I killed this guy, then I told myself never again. And so I think this is a situation where he's going, just keep me locked up. Because I'm going to do this again. Right. I think he has a realization of who he is, of what he's capable of. And maybe he's even afraid of that himself and does not like who he is, does not want to be evil, but right. he, he believes himself to be. It almost, it's like, I can't control myself. Keep me here, please. I right. don't want to hurt anybody else. Well, after he's released, he's going to, he's going to get back to America. He's going to be living in Chicago and he's going to be committing more crimes there. And these are violent crimes. And these are situations where it's just it's just bizarre. Because this next event went so far as that he was actually tried and went to trial for this in 1980 for armed violence, attempted murder, and aggravated battery. This was from a stabbing that took place in 1979. The victim's name, Mark Earnhardt who was a co-worker with David Maust at the F.J. Lytle Machine Company in Chicago. Uh-huh. Maust had been working with this company for 18 months. He was making about 1000 bucks a month as a machinist. He and Mark were hanging out one night when Maust suddenly stabbed who David Maust refers to as his friend. He stabs his friend in the abdomen with an 8-inch knife. Well, he just beat his one friend to death with a board with nails sticking out a few years earlier. So Mm -hmm. he he likes to be friends with these people. And then it's almost like this guy hates himself so much that if you're friends with him, he wants you dead. Yeah. And thankfully Mark lived through this situation. David mouse lied on the witness stand, apparently saying that this whole incident was an accident It sounds to me like there just was not enough evidence to convict Maust of anything. So he was found to be not guilty in this situation. But what we're pointing out here, Captain, is that David Maust, one, got off light for a murder in Germany and then got away with it entirely for an attempted murder here in Chicago just a couple years later. 
I wonder if this friend caught him jerking off. Well, I don't know, but a couple of months later, Mouse stabbed someone else. This time, the guy died. Here's what happened. This is per the Chicago Tribune. In August of 1981, David Mouse started to believe that the cause of his violent behavior was from a homosexual incident or homosexual activity that he had engaged with with a, a boy just a few years earlier. So he's all mad and worked up about this situation. He decides he's going to go out and look for this teenager. And when he finds him, he's going to kill him. Maybe he was afraid that the, the boy would tell people about it. At the time, Mouse was living in Woodale, a western suburb of Chicago. So he drove to his former neighborhood of Greenview where he knew that the teenager was living at the time. You know, he's asking around about this kid and he learned that the kid was in jail. So his target, the person he's all enraged at that he wants to find and kill, he's not going to be able to do because this kid's locked up in jail. So he decides on the spot, you know what? I'll just go after someone else and really anyone else. He spots Donald Jones, age 15. This is almost like a surrogate victim for Moust. Yeah. He somehow gets this 15-year-old into his vehicle. He drove out to a remote location. This was a gravel quarry where he stabbed the teenager in the stomach and then threw him in a water-filled gravel pit. The kid, of course, begging for his life. Years later, Moust would would write about this attack, and this is saying things like he could, even years later, he could still hear Donald Jones, the 15-year-old, saying, I'm only 15, please do not kill me, please don't hurt me. The the 15-year-old drowned in that water-filled gravel pit. It's amazing that... David was able to read or write with his horrible upbringing and his lack of education. Yeah, the body of this kid would not be found until almost two months later. I have no idea, Captain, to be perfectly honest with everyone. It's completely unclear to me how David Mouse was caught for this, and, and but he was eventually charged with the murder of Donald Jones. This is a stranger on stranger attack. Right. I don't know what led to him, but what we do know is that before David Mouse could be prosecuted, he decides, boom, I'm out of here. He took off for Texas. So in December of 1981, the same year, while Mouse was in the Lone Star State, the following incident took place. A 14-year-old boy named Steven Anderson was walking home from a 7-Eleven. That's for those not familiar. That's an old gas station in Galveston, Texas. He's walking home with his buddy, Richard Sweet. Mouse pulled up in a two-tone Chevy Blazer and asked if they wanted to earn some money doing some work for him. They both say yes, but Mouse says, eh, I only need one of you. So Richard Sweet, he says, you know what? I had a bad feeling about the situation. So I just said, you know what? I'm not interested. The other boy, Steven Anderson, climbed into the blazer and told David Mouse that he needed to call his mother to let her know where he was. 
So Mouse drove the kid to a motel a few blocks away. As Steven walked into the motel room, before he could use the phone, Mouse punched him in the back of the head. Right. Then he put him on the bed and kept punching Steven, threatening that if he screamed or yelled, he would kill him. Mouse took off the boy's pants, and Steven says he does not recall anything after that. Up to this point, where Mouse drops the kid off at a park just a few hours later. Right. He tries to give the kid some money, saying, you know, don't tell anybody what happened. Here's some money. Don't talk about this. According to the police report, the kid was in the hospital for this attack for about a week. He had several injuries, severe injuries to his arms, face, head, shoulders, and chest, and a stab wound to the abdomen. There were marks on this kid's wrist that indicated that he was tied up and bound at some point during this attack. He later told the newspaper, quote, my mom said that they did test on me at the hospital and I wasn't raped, but I think he did rape me and my mom was just protecting me right. at the time. Or maybe it's something that he's blocked out of his memory. Mouse was charged with causing bodily injury to a child. He pled guilty and was sentenced to five years. The Texas authorities were aware of his outstanding warrant for the Jones murder in Illinois. And so while he was in prison in Galveston, Cook County, Illinois officials arrived down there to talk with him about the Donald Jones murder case. There, again, we see the repeated actions of this guy. Yeah. He confesses to police that he killed Donald Jones. However, he refused to sign any type of Confession, written statement. Yeah. I mean, this guy is an absolute monster. Monster. And what also is apparent here, I think, is he's a loose cannon. It seems like a lot of these attacks, there's definitely some sexual aspects to a lot of this behavior, but also a lot of this seems revenge filled and, and, and hate filled where it doesn't take much to make him fly off the rails and, and attack someone to the point where he's stabbing people. Yeah. And I know I was making the joke that he looks like Nick Nolte mixed with the ultimate warrior. It's almost, you know, the, the, the whole character of the ultimate warrior was come in yeah, be explosive and, and then you're done, right? And it's but it seems like that's kind of characteristic of of how David acts. So, Captain, he's locked up for this attack. This what you could almost determine to be attempted murder, but only charged with causing bodily harm to a juvenile. Locked up in Texas, Illinois officials come down, and he verbally confesses to killing Donald Jones, will not sign a written statement. What's discussed behind the scenes is that all of the parties involved determined that we need to extradite David Mouse back to Chicago so that he can be charged for the murder of Donald Jones.
Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. 
with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Make sure you check out the store page. And I'm I'm just really proud of the beer run shirts. I think you're going to enjoy them. All of this stuff with David Mouse is now happening in 1983, Captain. He's extradited from Texas back up to Illinois. He's 28 years old at this time. This next part gets very confusing because he's extradited to face murder charges the victim again donald jones yeah but what takes place is david mouse was institutionalized and basically sits there for an entire decade while not a whole lot happens with the murder charge itself this is because they're trying to evaluate david mouse to see if he is sane or not so there was a a big discrepancy between the experts who disagreed in their assessments of this man's sanity. Some of the, according to court records, some of the medical experts found him to be insane and others found him to be quite sane and that he should be tried for this murder. Well, and they all found him to be a pile of shit. Well, didn't one of the police officers write something like on, on the cover sheet of this? Where he says uh, he's a bad guy, Gacy type. Yeah, that was from the extradition paperwork where one of the detectives called him a Gacy type, which is very interesting because that is what we would later see in the 2003 murders. It's so much like Gacy. But it's, I mean, it's like Dean Coral. We've seen this time and time again. Jeffrey Dahmer was doing the same thing. It's if you want to, if you want to attract teenage boys to hang out with you and you're an adult, give them some alcohol, give them some money, give them some marijuana Mm -hmm. and that's stuff that they can't get elsewhere and they will hang out with you. Yeah. And then, and then we've also seen that after you give those said teenage boys marijuana or beer, that even times where these guys are. They're offering them a rub and tug 
or they're offering them, you know, how about you suck me off or I suck you off or whatever it is, right? It's almost like some of these te- these teenagers will just go, well, I didn't know if he was joking or not, or I, or I thought that was strange, but he, he never touched me. Yeah, Bob Bordello did the same thing. The way that he's a little bit different from Gacy and more like... He's not a fat slob. More like Dean Coral and more like... Jeffrey Dahmer, in my opinion, is that he Moust, according to his own words later, was looking for a victim. And I know Gacy was looking for a victim, but the situation with Gacy was a little different. Most of the his victims worked for him or the lore, the the ruse was giving them jobs. You said jobs. Where in this situation, it's simply Moust supplying them with alcohol and drugs. Dean Coral, very similar situation, although Dean Coral, the candy man, had other teenagers bringing these teenagers to his home. Jeffrey Dahmer simply picked on on poor people. He picked on poor young victims and would use small amounts of money in a lot of occasions to get these teenage boys back to his apartment. Jeffrey Dahmer, the sugar daddy. David Mouse told detectives, because they asked him, they're like, well, how did you pick your victims? And he said, I would watch in the neighborhood and I would see the kids whose parents never seemed to be around. The kids who were always out hanging out on the street, the ones that were always outside. And I knew that I could approach them And I could offer them things that they probably wanted, beer, cigarettes, marijuana, money, and such. And I could get them to become my friend and spend some time with me. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, though, too, is uh, because he was, uh, I guess you would say, abandoned by his family, there probably had to be a, a loneliness there for David. And so find other individuals that are lonely because the common thread, it seems like, in most of these crimes, or at least a high percentage of the crimes that he's committing, is like you said, they're friends. They became friends. Mm-hmm. They, they were friends before they became victims. So David Mouse was finally held legally accountable for the Donald Jones murder. But as we said, he pretty much sat there for a decade while they tried to determine if he was sane or not to charge him with this. So He's not charged until May of 1994, to which, Captain, I know you know what what takes place here. He pled guilty. Yeah. But like you said, that's kind of... It's his makeup. Yeah, but I think that has a lot to do with as far as when they say he's insane or not insane. I think the fact that he is confessing to these crimes proves that he is of sane mind. He's sane enough to say what I've done is insane and I should not be around other people. He pled guilty. He was sentenced to 35 years in prison at his sentencing. The brother of the victim stands up and tells the cook County circuit court judge quote, please do not let him out to hurt any other kid again. David Moust was out of prison five years later. You said he was sentenced to 35 years. Yes. And he gets out in five. Okay. So this is what's horrific, but he must be, he he, seriously, he must be given hand jobs to, to every 
parole officer. Well, no, uh, there was there was some judges. laws that were in place at the time that were just bad laws. And other states have been guilty of this, too, throughout our history, where they have the prison population is overcrowded. So they're they're trying to speed up the the, the process. And yeah. what they end up doing is letting these guys out way too soon. And this particular situation, what we have is in 1981, the year that Mouse killed Donald Jones in the state of Illinois, state law called for murderers and others to get credit for every day served. It was under this situation, Captain, they're basically getting a two for one on the days right. served. Keep in mind, he's been sitting there this whole time while they try to determine if he's sane or insane. This is roughly about 12 years. So Mouse gets credit for all 12 of these years. He serves five years in prison. So now we're up to 17 and he's getting a two for one credit. So if you do the math, according to Mouse and according to the sentencing laws at the time, he did almost all of the 35 year sentence. It's just a, it's just a broken system. It's a, right. it's a bad law. And just think about what's happening at this time. You know, we have, uh, the war on drugs is happening. They're, they're locking up individuals for selling crack and for selling marijuana and putting them in jail for all this time. But on the other hand, you have a situation here where, where David mouse is let out. It's absolutely ridiculous. So now David Mouse is getting out of prison again. And every victim after this should sue the state. Well, they could all still be alive. It's, yeah. it's again, it's just bad state law at the time. And they did go on to change that, and the, mainly because of this case and, and some others as well. But he's getting out after this time served. David Mouse did not, again, he does not want out of prison. Oddly enough, in 1999, Mouse wrote a five-page letter to the Illinois Department of Corrections asking that he not be released from prison, even though he had done uh, his time. Mouse yeah. wanted to be classified as a sexually violent prisoner eligible to be held indefinitely. He wrote, quote, when I came to prison, I would sit up at night thinking about how I would feel about the possibility of staying in prison for the rest of my life. And I came to the conclusion, it's the right thing for my life. And being in prison is where I belong because I gave up the right to be free when I committed the crimes that brought me here in the first place. Look, I think maybe there would be a difference. This guy seems apologetic, maybe even a little bit reformed, possibly. So they're going, okay, well, the decision to let him out is not so bad. If he would have stated, you know what, you let me out, I'm going to do it again. You let me out, I'm going to befriend somebody, and I'm going to murder them. And and if you let me do that, I'm going to befriend another one and kill them and befriend another one and kill them. And I'm just not going to stop killing people because that's who I am. Well, the Department of Corrections stated that he did not meet the criteria to be placed on any, to be placed on that list and basically held in their facilities. So... Despite all of this, he's released and on parole in 1999. He lived in Oak Park, Illinois. You know, he's not going to be allowed to leave the state while he's still on parole. So he's going to live there until 2001. Well, at least until 2001 without committing any known crimes. Right. Because years later, he said that he attacked an ex-prison mate 
this man's name is Anthony Mazur. Mouse said that he had Anthony visit him with the promise that the two would start a marijuana grow operation together. Mouse said that he had the funds to buy a large piece of property and start up this whole operation. But of course, this was all a lie. Mouse attacked Anthony Mazur with a pipe. And according to Anthony, he says he yelled at Mouse to stop. And eventually he did. So Mazur survived. Mouse then took Anthony to the hospital, even signing the papers to admit him to the hospital. The attack on Anthony Mazur required Anthony to get 48 staples and 26 stitches. And of course, we later learned that Mouse says that he, he lied about the marijuana grow farm. He made the whole thing up because he wanted a friend. He later wrote, quote, it's true that I only met Anthony because I lied to him and I told him I had lots of money from selling drugs. Right. I was hoping in time I could turn that lie into a truth as we became better friends. But Anthony wanted to live in Wisconsin. So that Saturday afternoon, I tried to get him drunk and then I beat his head in with a pipe. End quote. Anthony decided to try to press charges, but this was after several months. He waited, so this was after several months, and police later said that they didn't have sufficient evidence for an arrest after that much time had passed. So another very violent, vicious attack that almost left another person dead and murdered. He's not even charged with anything in this situation. It's so strange, too. It's like, in this case, maybe a little bit different because his friend wants to move to Wisconsin. So I think there's a part of him that, well, I'll kill him so he can't leave me. He doesn't leave me, yeah. Yeah, I don't want him to leave me. But, and I think that makes this victim different as the other ones. And maybe he befriended these people, then then he was afraid. We, we don't know if there was an interaction between any of these other victims where, Oh, I said something, and I, I didn't think they were going to be friends with me anymore, so I killed them too. I almost think there was part of, part of something in his psyche, like I said before, something that is telling him, you like me, you're my friend, and that makes you awful. Could be, and he hates himself, and therefore he hates anybody that would accept him or like him. Right. But what's interesting and what you're getting at here too is that Time and time again, he is friends with all of these victims before they are his victim, it, with the exception of Donald Jones, who is basically a surrogate victim for the person he sought for the teenager he went looking for and could not find. Right. So David Mouse parole ended in 2002, and it was then early the next year in 2003 that he moved to Hammond, Indiana, where we now know that he killed the three teenage boys that were hanging out yeah. at his apartment and buried them in cement in his basement. He's one that immediately people, when they learn about David mouse, he's not a very well-known serial killer. He is in Northwestern Indiana because that's where they, he killed three victims. Most people, when they learn about David mouse, they say he's got to have more victims. The span of crimes between the murders, it's it's 29 years and three murders at the end of one spectrum and two at the, the beginning of the other. 
and 29 years, he's got to have more victims. He has more victims. He just didn't kill them is what it appears to me, because what we need to keep in mind is out of that 29 years, he's basically locked up for about 21 years of that time period. He's not out and free for the entire 29 years because his situation's very unique. He's convicted of murder, serves some time, and he's released. Later convicted of another murder, serves some time, and is released again. We've seen this in other cases. Kenneth McDuff, the broomstick killer who we talked about when we covered the yogurt shop murders. He's another situation where he murdered someone, he was convicted of murder, and then released. He gets out and he kills again. Jack Henry Abbott, the author of In the Belly of the Beast, same thing. He murdered someone. He's in prison. He writes the book In the Belly of the Beast. People fall in love with this guy. They read his book and they're like, oh, he's he's a victim on some level himself and he served a good amount of prison time. Let's go ahead and let him out. His fans called for him to be let out. They let him out and sure enough, he kills somebody else again. Yeah. So this is not something that we haven't seen before, but it, it is a very uncommon situation where you kill, serve time, you're released, you kill again. Mouse does this three different times, which is incredibly unique. But then you also have the situation of he is a rare serial killer because of remorse. This guy almost shows Mm -hmm. contrition where he he's remorseful and penitent of, of his crimes and of his murders. And he's weird because that word remorse is really difficult to slap onto David Maust. You know, he has said multiple times, my victims did not deserve what they got. Right. What I did to these people, they did not deserve this. So he at least at at the very least identifies them as a victim. Some serial killers blame their actions on the victims themselves. But with David Maust, I don't know that I would use the word remorse. I think that it's misused in this situation. I think that his situation seems to me uh, more of he recognizes himself as evil. He does not approve of his actions. And he knows the only way that he's not going to do these again is if he remains locked up. Lock me up and throw away the key so I can't go out there and be evil. Right, but what we see with David is they lock him up and they always release him. Yes. Yes, he does. And that's... Even when, he, even when they go to release him, he goes, don't, don't release me. And I think at some point he had to go, this system is not going to protect anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't stop whatever I'm doing. I've been telling everybody I can't stop, but they keep letting me out. So eventually I'll get out. Eventually we'll do this again. Well, in, in reviewing this case, Captain, when I saw that first conviction for murder, he, he pled guilty in the first situation. And he says, as part of my plea agreement, I would like to not be put in the general prison population. And I always thought 
at first that maybe that is because he does not want prison justice to come down on him. You know, we said this time and time again, Charles Manson was terrified that somebody was going to murder him in prison. Right. And he did a lot of things, made a lot of maneuvering so that he would be kept in isolation or in special housing or a special wing of the prison. So it'd be less likely that somebody could attack and kill him. I assume that going into this with David Mouse, I now look at this and go, well, is there a chance that he didn't want to be put in the in the general prison population because he thought he would kill somebody there? Yeah, because people are lonely in prison. They become friends. And what does David do with his friends? He murders them or, or tries to murder them. After David Mouse was convicted and sentenced to three life terms, this in 2005, David Mouse wrote to the detective in charge of the case in Hammond, Indiana, the the one that arrested him, David, uh, Detective Johnson, who at this point, after being convicted, David Mouse considers the detective to be a friend of his. He writes to him and he says, quote, not now, but when the time is right, I will do the right thing for the parents and for the taxpayers who have to be pissed with the thought of having to pay to keep an evil person like me alive, end quote. Then in January of 2006, Maust got word that he was about to be transferred to the DOC facility to begin serving his life sentence. He was still in the Lake County Jail at this time. His attorney, his defense attorney, was Thomas Vaines who visited him the day before the transfer. He said that he saw no hint that David was going to kill himself. Yeah, sometimes there's no sign. But Mouse did tell him that he was thinking about it. And he told his attorney he was thinking about it in some vague terms where he said, someday I will kill myself. But at the end of this meeting, David Mouse gave his defense attorney, several of his personal items. The next day on January 19th at 3.50 a.m., Maust hung himself with a braided bed sheet in his cell. The hanging broke his neck, and he was found brain dead. He's alive, but brain dead. Right. So they transferred him to St. Anthony Medical Center in Crown Point, but the next day... I wonder who got all the trophy. Money. As his brother debated turning off the life support, Maust died of heart failure. You almost wonder if like the universe wanted Maust to suffer a little bit. Well, his attorney, Thomas Vane, said, quote, I think he was determined to die on his own terms, and if he couldn't get the death penalty, this was his second choice. Now, David Mouse did leave a seven-page suicide note, and here are some excerpts from that. He likes to write. Uh, my, he says, my brother was right about one thing. I should have been given the death sentence for all of my evil acts of violence that I committed in life. He goes on to say, the day after the Hammond police came to my home, I decided to leave for someplace unknown. I wasn't running to keep from being punished because I always knew I should be destroyed and killed like they sometimes do to a wild animal that escapes from confinement. For I know how to punish myself. 
And I only left that day to punish myself for the shameful, evil life I lived and because of the embarrassment I would cause the people who knew me and allowed me into their homes. Yeah. My greatest fear of suffering was for the pain, sorrow, and grief the parents would feel when they learned their loving sons were gone. Again, insane acts, but he knows they're insane, which I believe makes him a sane person. We talk about, and people question, did David Mouse commit more murders? And Mm. one thing that I find fascinating is that his defense attorney says he does not believe David Mouse committed any other murders. And this is because David Mouse wrote a lot when he was in prison toward the end of his life before he took his life, not just in the suicide note that was several pages long, but he also kept a diary where he talked about attacks that law enforcement were not aware of or attacks that didn't lead that didn't end in murder, but it didn't end in a conviction either. And I think that his attorney is, look, his attorney is the real deal. This attorney veins because veins has seen this from both ends, from both sides of the fence. Mm -hmm. Veins used to be a prosecutor. He prosecuted other murderers. He sent other murderers to death sentences. And then later in life, he became a defense attorney and defends this serial killer. And much like with the people that defended Gacy, your, your obligation really to your client at that point, when you know, this guy is 100% guilty of murdering people and evil and evil is not to keep him out of prison. It's to keep him from getting the death penalty. And I think that veins is the one that says, look, There's no doubt in my mind that David Maust wanted to die. And we know that for a fact because he did kill himself. And Vane says that had he committed any other murders, had David Maust committed any other murders that would have got him a step closer to the death penalty, he would have told us about him. That death penalty was his number one choice on how to die. Suicide was was his second option. Another note from the suicide note, another piece from the suicide note, Captain, David Mouse wrote, in my life I committed five horrible murders. I killed Jane McLister, age 13, Donald Jones, age 16, Nicholas James, age 19, James Ragani, age 16, and Michael Dennis, age 13. For these five were very special and how They were so kind, caring, thoughtful, joyful, and loving young people who did not deserve to die. And I have prayed many days that I could go back through time and undo the pain, sorrow, and grief that I have caused their families, friends, and the neighbors from their communities. For I know these five were very much loved and will forever be dismissed. I feel like David Edward Mouse... Attorney said it best when he said, quote, David Maust was a one of a kind client with an outsized drive for self-understanding and atonement. He was capable of horrific violence with an equal capacity for contrition. David was genuinely sorry for hurting others, 
right up to the time that he did it again. I want to thank everybody so much for joining us here this week in the garage. If you need more True Crime Garage, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. It's on Stitcher Premium. And just a reminder, all of our episodes are available everywhere. From episode one to episode now, they're all available wherever you listen to podcast that's right thank you captain that's a lot of good stuff for your earballs. how about some good stuff for your eyeballs a little recommended reading if you will this week we are recommending darker than night the true story of a brutal double homicide and an 18 year long quest for justice by tom henderson this was actually a longtime listener and friend of the show tim up in michigan recommended this book to me and now i'm recommending it to all of you that's darker than night by tom henderson and you can find that great title and many more on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com and until next week be good be kind and don't let This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.